Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Creating Structure podcast. I'm John Wheaton. It's great to have you. This is our first podcast of 2023. I also want to make a big shout out to our new audio production company, BVS Productions. Dan Portick, thank you. Looking forward to working with them as a partner. It is my great pleasure and privilege to have with me as my guest, Mr. John Gordon, Simulation and Thermal Operations Manager for National Certified Testing Laboratories. John, welcome to the show. Thanks, John. Pleasure to be here. I appreciate the opportunity. Great to have you. I had really never met you virtually or in person until you came and conducted training. Dennis Anderson had recommended you. Dennis um, with NFRC, and I know you have a role with NFRC, which we'll talk about. And you conducted training here, and uh, I enjoyed our dinner together. We've really benefited from that thermal analysis, additional instruction training. So thanks for having done that for us. It was good. Great. I'm glad to hear you got benefit from it. I certainly enjoyed the the time out in Ohio with you and your team and being able to sit with them and uh, hopefully uh, get a little better understanding to them about what all the thermal analysis is and how to go about it. So it was, uh, I think, mutually beneficial. That's great. I got a lot of good reviews from my people and uh, we had a good dinner at Oak and Embers with the group afterwards up in uh, Twinsburg, just over, they're either on the very north end of Hudson or just over the line in Twinsburg. Um, but I did get COVID not long after that. I don't know if I got it from being in church next Sunday or being in that restaurant, but I wound up with COVID that Thursday. I wound up with COVID and I was a mess for three days. I was just wiped out. Well, sorry to hear that. Hopefully, uh, seems like back on the rebound and better now, but uh, that was a great evening as well in conjunction with the trip out there. Enjoyed the the food and the company and I'm not going to lie, enjoyed the bourbon as well. <laughs> yeah, I know we could probably talk a while about that because you're a bourbon aficionado, but let's get into the professional side of this as well and the personal side. So tell the audience, um, who are you? Where are you from? Who you work for? And just what you do, where you went to school or not, like what's your path? Just give us some background about you. Sure. I uh, always have been born and, and stayed in the, the South Central Pennsylvania area. Um, little town, grew up in a little town called Dillsburg, Pennsylvania, um, in pr- pr- close proximity to Harrisburg, PA for if you really want to find something meaningful on a map, um, Dillsburg, you'd have to zoom way too far in to find, I'm sure. Um, but have been here all my life. Uh, I'm married um, just 26 years, uh, over 26 years, been married, um, have two grown children, 19 and a 23-year-old, um, and uh, enjoy the time with them and, and really couldn't ask for a, a better wife or family and, and on the personal side of things. Um actually started off in tech school um, for information systems and my career path actually after some oddball stuff coming out of high school um, actually started in in technology and that part of the world and spent 20 years or 20 plus years in technology doing everything from help desk work up to um, doing chief information officer consulting roles with organizations and clients um, 18 of those 20 some years were all in the consulting world um, where I had multitudes of clients that I supported on any given week or day and 
was their advocate on the technology world and, and basically was um, was put in charge of making sure that their technology path met and supported what their business path was. So was in there until about eight plus years ago when I made the transition to fenestration. And, and honestly, before the fenestration jump, uh, a window and a door were to me were nothing more than access and air holes into a home. So it's uh, it's been quite eye-opening to say the least as far as what is involved in a window and a door and commercial and residential and all of those sub-segments that cross lines and take us through what is the, the thermal analysis, thermal ratings. Wow, you just threw us all a big knuckle curveball. I could spend the rest of the time asking you about, wait a minute, wait a minute. You went 20 years in technology. So you're an IT, IT systems, IT guy, and eight years ago only? So you're not a career long, grew up drafting, drawing, window glazing details, working for Graham Windows or working for ATI or whatever. You just moved into this eight years ago from the IT world. Correct. September of 2014 was actually my first jump into this, and it was definitely a jump right into the deep end. Um, and so that's eight years and what, four months, give or take. Um, and yeah, before that, it was 20 to 20 plus years, 20, 22 years, something like that, uh, strictly in information systems, IT techie. Wow. Okay. So we're dying to know what prompted the transition. Um, a lot of it was the, the, the look at what um, a more structured lifestyle would be, I guess, is the best way to put it. Um, as anybody that has dealt with technology, whether in the, the throes of fixing it or the frustration of being on the user side of it knows it goes down when it wants. There is no um, perfect eight to five world of technology. And with two at that time, two small boys at home that were just starting to get into sports and all of that type of stuff. Um, it took uh, a couple calls to my wife at the time to say, you're going to have to figure out how to handle both kids practice tonight because I'm stuck with a down server or with a, a critical piece of equipment offline that I'm not going to be home until it's back online. So this was a lot more structured in, in that regard so that she wasn't forced into that position and uh, gave me a lot more balance to be able to go to kids functions and be a lot more involved um, than what I already was, honestly, to to their lives and, and what their ambitions were. Wow. God bless you for that. That's a great, great decision. Um, and so, so it wasn't really that you started to migrate with an interest towards fenestration, but you really were making a lifestyle decision or what you thought would be a more controlled work environment lifestyle decision. Yeah, it was. Um, and actually, National Certified Testing Labs happened to be a, a client of mine at the time um, from an a IT consulting standpoint. Um, I took care of their stuff and in, in strategic planning and day-to-day -day and all that kind of thing, technology-wise. And an opportunity opened up here over the course of a couple conversations. Um, the rest is kind of history. That's how I ended up here with, uh, they had a need in, in this role and came in and, and took it over and, and really started with 
straightening things out or getting things in in control from an operational standpoint as the evolution of education of this industry and thermal and everything else was directly running beside that. Great. Wow. Yeah, I have a lot of interest just in the general potential positive disruptiveness of technology as it intersects in our industry, you know, in the specialty contracting and trade subcontracting and in professional services. But that that may be more discussion in this time or it may be for another time. Tell us then, since you've mentioned NCTL, National Certified Testing Laboratories, um, sounds like it was a natural segue from IT to them as a client, but um, what is NCTL? What did they do? And then what do you do for them? So NCTL as a whole is an independent uh, lab and we we do focus on fenestration and, and the building envelope sciences for what we are a lab for. Uh, that includes the, the thermal side, which is what I'm a part of, a physical thermal chamber here, as well as the, the simulation side with the, the computer-generated graphics of um, heat loss and performance and all that is encompassing with that. We also do uh, structural work, which crosses over into AMA and ASTM, um, curtain wall, field, uh, mock-ups, um, so that's, uh, we do some uh, open for, operable force, sorry, excuse me. Um, you know, just anything really that pertains to building facade, uh, windows, doors, fenestration, and, and those general categories is, is what we handle and do as a whole. Um, as far as myself goes, uh, as I just kind of gave way, I, uh, I'm responsible for the thermal side of everything. And uh, that includes both a hot box here that does physical thermal testing with test samples that are shipped into the lab, as well as a, a team of uh, simulators that work specifically on the, the computer generated side of the thermal analysis that is um, all virtual and related to known conductivities inside of a PC system. Great. Does NCTL have a chamber then? You have mock-up chambers on site? We have a, a thermal, an enclosed thermal chamber. So it might be a, a difference in terminology, but from my perspective, when you say mock-up, we're talking about building facade mock-ups. Mm -hmm. Chambers that typically deal with those are a much more on the fly, if you will, built as needed. The chamber that that I have here and that we have um, is more of a controlled environment, like a um, enclosed insulated box where you, you roll in a single NFRC standard size product. It goes through its process of testing with all the methods and, and what it's required to do. And we pull that single product out and replace it with the next product in and then repeat the process all over again. Okay. So, when you say hot box, is that what the hot box is? Yes, correct. And tell our audience what a hot box is and does. So the hot box is the a thermal chamber. It is um, divided in half where one side is producing what would be winter-like conditions that are to the NFRC standards, uh, and that is negative 0 0.4 degrees Fahrenheit on one side with approximately a 14 mile an hour perpendicular wind. 
And on the other side, it is meant to mimic what is happening inside your home, 69.8 degrees Fahrenheit with a cascading vertical falling wind over the product and uh, thermocouples and, and all that kind of stuff that monitor environment and everything else to ultimately get to a point where you can get a BTU loss through the product that equates to a U factor or an energy performance rating. Great. So the, the minus 0.4 F 14 mile an hour wind 69.8 inside temperature, the other one outside, that is, those are the standard NFRC boundary conditions, correct? For calculating U value? That is correct. That is exactly what gets applied in the program, the, the, the PC program of therm when you make boundary conditions and use NFRC standards. And when you say an NFRC standard product, can you explain to us what that is? Are you talking about a, a, a window product or some fenestration product that's built a certain way and put in the chamber so you can discern its U value and thermal properties for the manufacturer? So NFRC standard is more a reference to size and uh, specifically size per operator type. So the NFRC has a table that runs through in their NFRC ANSI 100 document operator types and each one is assigned what they have as a standard size for that. So for example, a fixed window in a standard size for NFRC is 47 inches wide by 59 inches tall. And then single light and a curtain wall system would be a two, a two light system that is 79 inches wide by 79 inches tall. And then you could go through an entire list of operator types and, and name what each standard size would be for them. Casement is 24 inches wide by 59 inches tall, et cetera, et cetera. That's great to know. Um, tell, can you tell us, tell our audience um, a little bit about NFRC? What does NFRC stand for and what is it that they do? So NFRC is National Fenestration Rating Council and they are there for objective window door skylight energy performance ratings. Um, so all of those things like standard size comes into play and it's, it's really trying to make a balanced playing field for products to present to a consumer what their thermal performance is. Okay. That's in a nutshell. And you have a role with NFRC, correct? Correct. I am on the board of directors with the NFRC and actually I am the acting sitting chair right now of the board of directors. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we've got the acting, you said board chairman, you're the acting board chairman at NFRC. Correct. And that's, uh, that I am in my third year of, of that and that it is a three-year term as the chair. So I am, I'm rolling off of that as, as we speak kind of, so, so to say, but, uh, as of right now, yes, but uh, soon to be just a, a back to being a board member. Yeah, but you've got tremendous experience in your third year. So um, I've got a couple other technical questions before I ask you a little bit more about that and that role in the leadership with NFRC. Um, John, how, in your experience or not, I mean, 
just let me know the, the reality of the answer to this question. Is there any way that you can tell us like how closely correlated are therm calculations to hot box thermal simulations using the NFRC boundary conditions, you know, from a software versus the reality? Like what's the correlation? It is extremely accurate. Uh, really? Yes. So there are um, conditions inside or, or um, requirements, I should say, probably is a better way to say it, inside of the NFRC documents that in order to be NFRC certified, you have to produce a validation test, which is the NFRC 102 or the hot box test um, that is within 0.03 BTU, or I'm sorry, 0.03 U factor or 10%, whichever one of those is greater of the simulated value. So you have to, in essence, be able to prove that your product performs in a hot box like the simulated value says it performs. I see. Okay. Um, by the way, how hard was it to go? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm jumping back. I'll put a bookmark there and come back to it. How hard was it to move from IT world? Obviously, you have an analytical mind and a logical mind. But to move from IT world to thermodynamics, had you had any thermodynamic training or did you basically self-educate on everything? It was all self-education um, through either trial and error, reading, uh, a lot of uh, a lot of sitting around with coworkers here that had experience in it um, and picking a lot of their brains um, to, to where we got to, but nonetheless, still pretty, it was challenging. I don't want to say it was hard, but it was challenging. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I enjoy that kind of thing for sure. So the challenge of unfolding all that and getting into it and learning it while putting structure into the way we did things as a lab. Um, it was a, a very busy time and it, we really haven't let up quite honestly. We're still <laughs> busy, which is good, but um, yeah, it's, uh, it was a challenge, but it was definitely worthwhile. I enjoy what I do. Um, and it's, it's a, it's a great field to be in for sure. And, uh, but it's a learning curve. There's no doubt. Um, it, it's, even I've heard it said, even for people coming out of school with a background in whatever you want to put there, thermodynamics, engineering, whatever it is, it is just a complete other education of understanding the intricacies of this industry because of how niche it is outside of just what a general degree would be in, you know, thermodynamics or, or whatever you're, you're talking about. Yeah. Do you play chess? Uh, I do, yes. I, I haven't in a long time, but I do. Well, I, I bet you're pretty good. I'm, I'm, I'm guessing, I'm guessing you were one of those SAT guys who's like in the 95th percentile for math or something. If you had all that IT background and you can learn thermodynamics <laughs> and learn, I mean, software is probably second nature to you, but it's not an easy jump to go from 20 years and it, it's just a testimony to your capability, and it's a testimony to the to the reality and value in today's day and age of being able to have access to tools and information that helps us to be able to learn. You don't have to go to a college course to learn what you need to learn. You're learning from colleagues, you're learning from research, reading, studying, 
working, assessing. I, that's a beautiful thing. So, yeah, yeah thanks, I, thanks I learned, for that. Oh, absolutely. Thank you. I, uh, I probably learned as much from failing as I did from the, the you know, the opening a book or reading an article or, or whatever that is, the, 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 the hands-on being able to, to dig into it and realizing what doesn't, doesn't work and how it, it, it systematically step-by-step step goes through and what impacts another thing or, or downstream type of impacts to one change. And all that is, is the stuff I absorb much quicker and better than an article. I enjoy reading, but uh, it's, it's definitely more hands-on. Yeah. I'm the same way. I, I can, I can read a few pages of the book to get started and give me the basic principle, but I got to get my hands on it um, virtually or otherwise. Um, John, what is a, I've got a million questions. What is a custom curtain wall manufacturer, glazed unitized curtain wall person supposed to do um, as it relates to NFRC standard? Are they, they're, they're not frame labeling or they are frame labeling in some instance. Are they just running U-value for therm? I mean, do you, do you enter, like how does NFRC intersect with that? Is there, do you have any points or interests or comments on that? There, there is, there's absolutely intersection. And some of that isn't necessarily generated so much from NFRC or the manufacturer as it is by code official or whatever you are dealing with from an entity's of the location of the building. Um, so code, um, municipal, you know, um, representative, whatever that may be. Um, and a lot of their language and the way they have it written is the, the direction of the, the manufacturer and how they have to go. Um, you know, there is a residential the program within the NFRC as well as uh, a commercial program. And those both, are different paths within the NFRC that end up with different deliverables. Um, one is a site certificate, which is, um, you know, specific to a building at a physical address type of location, which is the commercial path. The other one is a, a path of being able to label a product. Um, and you could certainly do a curtain wall in both of those paths, but you may not have the luxury as a manufacturer to say, I want to be on one side of that fence or the other because what you're dealing with from a code official or um, job requirement, um, scope, whatever that might be, may say you have to be in lane A versus lane B. And, and that's, that could be a, a much bigger guiding force than the manufacturer, the lab, or the, the organization. Thanks for that. I, I find, crazy as it sounds, I find um, people in our industry maybe on also confused sometimes that that the u value the the boundary condition for the u value is it's the same standard right it, to calculate a u value you have to use these these same standard boundary conditions in order to discern the u value through a wall system correct for for nfrc yeah um, right you could get into the technicalities of the, the software has the ability to do things outside of what NFRC standard is, but the NFRC standard is that 69.8 degrees on the room side, negative 0.4 degrees on the, the weather side, and then the, the perpendicular wind speed against the exterior side as well. 
So is it true that if I'm calculating, if I'm a person calculating a U value in therm, that I, I'm using those standard boundary conditions, all U values are measured according to the same boundary conditions? Correct. Okay. So that way we can judge the thermal capability of one product or system versus another, correct? Correct. And that's also the reason that the, the size comes into play because uh, uh, by nature, typically uh, the glass is your better performing piece of the product. And you can skew what a rating looks like by enlarging the overall size of the product. So to, to, to stay simple, if you went with a fixed window and produced it at standard size of 47 by 59, you know, it would have a, a, a U factor rating of let's hypothetically say a 0.20. You could drive that down by making that window much larger and adding to center of glass, especially if you're dealing with a, a an insulated glass unit, which is pretty common. Um, and then, you know, you start filling with argon, low E, move up to a triple IG and, you know, dual gap fill with argon in your center of glass reduces again significantly, which is a, a, an area weight back to the overall product and driving it down even further. So it saves the, the it gives the consumer a chance to pair a, compare apples to apples, if you will, versus allowing, um, you know, someone trying to sneak in with a, a, a window that's double the size of somebody else's and saying it's twice the performance value when it's really not true. It's twice the performance value at that size, but I think you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah, you're saying that the that the contribution of the framing um, is a significant contribution to the reduction in U value. Correct. Yeah, your your glass is is the better performing um, when you start talking about low ease and gap fills being introduced. I've actually had clients say, "John, this glass has a 0.21 U value. You can't." You can't tell us the U value of this wall is 0.45. I'm like, yeah, but the mullions are two foot six on center and they're eight inches deep and it's not thermally broken. And by the time you run, you know, 12 inches from the edge and you run that perimeter against the remaining glass, there's there's not a whole lot left, you know. So, yeah, it, it does does make a big difference. Uh, let's go back to um, I'm really curious about NFRC. So as a as the current board chairman, um, it's obviously a volunteer position for the board. Um, what do you do? What is your responsibility as board chairman? Um, as it pertains to the overall organization, it's uh, I'm the same as any other board member. Um, as far as that goes, uh, after that, it is... Um, you know, running uh, the meetings and, and trying to set the agenda. And it's a, a relationship with uh, the CEO of the organization and, and trying to guide the path of the, the overall organization with the, the board as well. And um, it's a, I think it's a really good group of people that are in the board today for the NFRC um, with the, the great, great minds in that group. And, uh, with great dedication to, to the betterment of the pro, the overall organization as well. How many people are on the board? Uh, 13, I believe is the, is the number. Is there a certain mix from industry and service and public or it's 
there's no specific mix required. There, there is a mix, um, and it is to to make sure that different voices have um, okay. a seat at the table. All right. Is it a for-profit or a not-for-profit organization? They are non-profit. Are they a division or a, a an, an owned group by somebody else, or is it is its own standalone self-supportive group? They're standalone, independent. Um, you know, focused on the the ratings and, and being able to to be independent nonprofit so that the, the ratings and the, the data that's, that's being presented from the organization is, 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 is able to stand on its own. John, how in the world do you manage the thermal operation simulation there and serve on the board of NFRC? That must be a big time commitment for both. It definitely has its uh, its challenges with time, for sure. Um, we're we're obviously very busy here at the lab. Um, it certainly takes a good amount of time to to continue to work here, and and we face the same challenges here at the lab as a lot of places are facing right now with finding uh, you know work and and help and, and not work, but finding workers and and help. Um, it's a it's a struggle there, but. Uh, Regardless of that, there's still plenty to do and a lot of hours to be had here. Um, and then, you know, it's, it goes back to the, the work of the board being just as rewarding as, as the other work that I do. So it's, it's something I, I'm glad I'm able to make time for and, and be able to be a part of. Well, it's, it's awesome. I mean, it's people like you that really help advance the industry and, and awareness. So thanks for your service there. You know, the same can be said for many people serving in many varieties of boards and nonprofit boards and research boards. And also that's really commendable. Um, how is the therm, what is the current version of the therm program and how is the therm program related to NFRC? Did NFRC create the therm program or was it, was it created by somebody else? Current version is um, so 7.8.55 is the current approved version, I believe, of NFR for NFRC. Um, and, and they no, they do not control um, the, the software that is actually um, maintained and written and coded through Lawrence Berkeley National Lab or LBNL. Um, and they control or, or maintain both uh, the window program as it pertains to windows and doors, not the operating system, and uh, the therm program. Is, thanks for that. Is LBNL government funded or private public funded? Do you, do you know? I, I believe government, um, but I really don't know that I could say that for sure. So probably better off not not answering something like that other than to say I, I think it's it's government funded but I'm not 100% sure can I get do I have to pay for the therm program I believe everything's a free download right from LBNL yeah that's my experience too that that's great so version 7.8.5.5 this is a two-dimensional program correct it's it's correct 2d um all right that's good to know so We've, you've got your work with NCTL. You're doing a variety of work in the fenestration space. Um, you guys do field, field water testing too, correct? Correct. Okay, and you're doing thermal simulations and, and um, hot box chambers. You've got your work with NFRC as board chairman. 
Um, have you seen, what changes have you seen in eight years in regards to the type of thermal analysis, the extent of thermal analysis, the integrity of thermal analysis, the importance of thermal, I mean, you haven't been at it for 30 years, you've been at it for eight years. Have you seen a continued evolution in the rigor around thermal analysis since you joined NCTL or no? I think there is, and I think it is generated by the world we live in today. Um, uh, you know, it's a it's a block at the foundation of what is built um, when you talk about building and energy and, and efficiencies and, you know, the, the sustainability conversations, the wellness conversations of uh, buildings today. Um, I, you know, I've always thought that how do you sit at the table and have a conversation about wellness building, whether that is energy efficiency or wellness, and not talk about the the part of the facade that is the window or the fenestration piece. So, um, I think that continues to be an evolving um, and ever present conversation as that goes forward um, and trying to make sure that the, the fenestration industry is represented at the seat at the table when, when those conversations come up. Um, and, you know, those types of sustainability pieces that you start to see or have seen in um, building codes and all those things like we talked about before with, um, you know, local governments and, and building scope and, and all that that continue to drive the U factors and, and everything as part of the conversation to the overall energy efficiency um, and making sure that, you know, windows are, are given an, a platform to continue to progress in the same direction to aid in that efficiency and sustainability conversation. So you're saying, if I'm hearing you correctly, that this is part of the sustainability piece to sustainability design, zero net energy, improved performance, um, less energy use to keep buildings cooled and heated. Is that correct? I think it is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I do too. I don't think people are ever going to want to stop feeling like they can connect with nature from inside, you know, whether we stay in it, I mean, I'm a little bit philosophical now, but whether we are in a tent or a mud dwelling or a single story building with some punched openings, like I'm looking out, I'm like, people, you know, people want to identify with outside. They want to see light. They want to see something. We could certainly light and ventilate a building without any visibility to the outside, but people like to identify with the outside. So, it is it's not going to change. Yeah, and I think it has taken on a much more dynamic microscope with uh, the last two or three years that we've all lived through, and, and the you know the, the the times where we have been indoors a lot more than maybe we had been previously used to, and and what that what that has brought to pardon the pun light and and making sure that you have that connection with the outside even when you're not able to physically be in the outside. Yeah, that's good. Um, what deliverable are you producing then? When you do a thermal, are you producing a report? Like when you're doing a therm analysis, are you producing a report with like isotherms and calculating like 
through wall U values and dew points and stuff. Is that what you guys, are you doing some of that? Most of the deliverables, uh, especially when you're in the lane of the NFRC is, is the window itself. So the NFRC stops at the, the edge of the frame yeah. uh, and doesn't get into um, wall makeup or installations or, or anything like that, that, that would be considered not part of the window coming out of the factory. So when we are delivering something for a client that is from an NFRC standpoint with a path towards certification, um, it is a predefined report that is populated with the requirements of what the NFRC says are reporting requirements, description of window, um, uh, if it's the, the thermal test side of things where it's the hot box test, there's you know, probably close to two pages worth of data that comes from that hot box that is um, included in that that you could really take and if you wanted to plug those numbers that are included in those pages into formulas to get to a, a U factor that is at the end of the report by the formulas. Basically it's a, a proof of what has been done and the value at the end for traceability to, uh, you know, if we would ever be put in a courtroom. Um, and then the, that's also coupled with a, a drawing packet that is verified against the product as well to say that, you know, everything represented inside that report, both description and, Thermal analysis data is directly related to the product that is represented in the drawings at the end of it. So that's the the, the full deliverable when we're done with our hot box test. Wow, that's great. And are are you also producing a calculations according to Therm? Yeah, and that's a two part. So there's actually two software pieces that come into play when you get to going for certification um, through the, the residential, the PCP side. And that is the, the Windows software, which is uh, through LBNL as well. It's on the same version as what the, um, the Therm software is. And those two programs work in unison to build the overall window u-factor through the simulation process therm is is meant to do the 2d modeling like you, you mentioned before you insert the glass into it and then once you do that you bring all those pieces or frame sections together in the in the window software program and that is basically doing the calculation of the area weighting of the overall product frame, edge of frame, and center of glass to give you the overall, the overall U factor based on the overall size. And that's what's then reported out of the simulation process. Hmm. Well, that's fascinating. Thank you. Um, so do you, do you experience products that don't meet the standard? And then do you have to provide council recommendations to clients as a result of it? A lot of times when we find a, a product that does not validate or does not come into that 10.03 U factor that it needs to be to validate um, with some troubleshooting, some um, investigation, some, you know, kind of looking through data, you can generally find out where that's, where that problem lies. Um, a lot of times, it is a product that has come in misrepresented, if you will, mm. um, where it was supposed to have shipped without reinforcement, but maybe it came in with reinforcement. Well, mm. we looked at the thermal simulation as if it didn't have reinforcement 
saw a U factor realized when we take that same simulation and add the reinforcement into it, it drives the numbers up a little bit in performance, making it a little bit more, a little bit worse. And then all of a sudden it matches to what the, the thermal test is. So a lot of times through that trial and error or elimination process of elimination, troubleshooting process, you can narrow down why it didn't validate. It's very few products that come in that once you go through that exercise, don't end up where they should be. That's great. Um, can, can you speak to or not the, um, the benefit from uh, thermal separation? Like, and what I mean is an isobar or a pour into bridge cavity um, where there's no conductivity, aluminum to aluminum in any way, skip to bridge or anything from outside to inside. Can, do you see the performance difference in your testing between really? Yes. Um, it's thermal loss is, is like a circuit almost uh, it, when you deal with electric or anything like that. Thermal loss is, you know, heat being conducted from a heat source through um, a high conductive material to a lack of heat on the other side. So when you think of it in that terms, and, and kind of put your mind around an electrical current or something similar like that, and or even water flow, when you put a break into that and don't allow it to flow from one side to the other with no resistance, it's going to flow a lot quicker, a lot faster, and, and heat is the same way. You put a, a resistance in there or a break, and now all of a sudden the heat loss becomes challenged in getting from side A, the, the warm room side to side B, the cold side. So it, it definitely has a, a direct impact to thermal performance and making it better when you can break apart conductive elements and put um, separation between them. That's good to know. Do, do you, can you speak to or not the, the benefit between um, like a, um, an isobar technology versus pour into bridge are, are they are they apart from the structural side are they similar in their capability to isolate on the thermal side they are pretty similar um, you, you start to, to go down the, the splitting hairs road if you will of, of between the two and then some of that starts to turn into well, what is the overall makeup or engineering of the product and could that be a possibility of what's the difference versus the, the two materials that are causing the separation um, and placement of the thermal break in the, the structure of the, the design of the, the frame member is, is just as important. Um, if you allow the, the, you know, the heat loss to happen where the thermal break can't do anything, but there's still a thermal break in there. It's, it's not nearly as beneficial as if it's placed in the proper spot or, or placed in, in a spot that's more, you know, conducive to, to create that resistance for, for heat to flow. Would that be at the front of the glazing pocket or the center of the, like, where would that be? Typically it's, it's, it's level with the glazing pocket or, or in some form right in that area. If you get too far forward, you're, you're basically allowing heat to get too far through the frame. Um, and the same way with back, you're, you're basically 
you know, especially on a deeper curtain wall, if you're back into the interior, you're, you're allowing that heat to, to never even really let the thermal break do its job. Yeah. Good point. Okay. One more question on, on the comparative thing. Can you speak to or not? Do you see or not um, a difference between warm edge spacer in insulated glass and just a regular metal spacer? Yeah, there, there's the spacers make a big difference in general. Um, that whole area of edge of glass has a, a significant um, impact to what overall performance is. So uh, anytime you're talking about adding or reducing conductive material in that area, it's certainly going to have a direct impact in U-factor. Thank you. Thank you. What about innovation? Um, you know, the glass and glazing industry itself is a pretty innovative industry from a construction point of view because, you know, all the things, aesthetics, structure, you know, pushing the envelope, haha, on <laughs> glass size um, and uh, thermal performance improvements. Um, is there any room for further innovation? Are you seeing other innovations without giving things away that maybe are are proprietary. What's your perspective there? I think there is. Um, I think that's just human nature in general is to, to keep pushing that quote unquote envelope, like you said, and, and driving the, the market, the industry in that direction. It certainly has traction from a sustainability and a, um, an environmental standpoint that, that is much center of focus in today's world as well. So I think when you couple all those things, I think the industry will continue to try and, and move in those directions. Um, you know, I think that's, I think that's a pretty fair statement that's general enough to, to put out there without, you know, crossing lines and putting anything into <laughs> that I shouldn't be talking about. Yeah. Um, so back on, on your, um, like that, that one scene squirrel, um, in that movie, um, are there any similarities as an ITIS professional in the analytic nature of that? Are there any similarities at all you can draw between that and the glazing industry, the fenestration industry, and, and the work you've done at NCTL? Like, wh what? What skills and mindsets were portable from one to the other that maybe if we don't come from that background, we wouldn't realize? Because a lot of people would go, I don't see the connection. Okay, beyond a lifestyle change, how in the world did you make that change? So were there, were there things that are kind of portable that you're like, oh, yeah, I just a different context? There are. Um, certainly when you get into the simulation side and the, and the the, the program software side, having a background there allowed some of the, you know, the, the back end of what those programs function on to be brought out and, and used and um, can find ways to, um, what's the right way to say this, can find ways to kind of streamline some things um, and, and use the programs a little bit more efficiently, if you will. Um, that has had benefit. I think just in general, myself 
personally, uh, I'm, I'm a troubleshooting guy. I'm hands-on kind of analytical, like you said. So that in the context of being able to figure out why something isn't the way it should be. We put something in the chamber and it isn't coming out with the values that it should be coming out with. Well, why is that? Let's start the troubleshooting process to work through that step-by-step, step. eliminate one to move to two, eliminate one and two mm-hmm. to move to three, that type of thing certainly has followed. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, I, I'm a hands-on guy at home too. Uh, home improvement type of like to get in and do it myself. Um, our, our last house, like I gutted our kitchen down to bare studs and redid it myself. So, mm. you know, I have that kind of mindset as well. So I think all of those things just meld into one, you know, who I am to, to be how I attack certain things. I don't think that necessarily was an IT thing to a window thing. It's just more of how I'm built and wired. You're a problem solver. You're a systems problem solver. Exactly. Troubleshooter problem. Yeah, you know, I, I, that's interesting. I was, I was thinking and talking to somebody else about this, and they were like, you know, I'm not. I don't know if it's just the curtain wall industry piece, John. I I think it's that you like to find, and this sounds like with you too. Like, you, you're going to assess a system and look for pattern recognition. And try to find the gaps and see, can we come up with a solution for this customer? Is it a project specific or is it an enterprise level? Or is it just a specific, got to fix this connection here? But it is interesting. Sometimes I wonder, you know, without having the, not everybody has the experience you do where they literally went from one complete like market segment to another to really know what's the common thread. And you see, you just described the common thread, but I think a lot of people may be like, doesn't really matter what industry they're in. Like to your point, they're a systems guy. They're a problem solver. They're a systematic. Like I always say, whether it's personal nutrition and fitness, health and wellness of a body or of a business or of a building, you've got to eliminate variables, right? Correct. It's like, well, what's causing that? I don't know. Let's start eliminating variables, you know, isolate this. Oh, nope. That's fine. It's not that problem. And until you isolate, it takes time, doesn't it? You got to isolate variables and figure out what's causing the problem. It is. And it doesn't matter if it's a a physical product that's sitting out here that's struggling to to meet performance expectations out of the the chamber or whether it's a a 2D CAD in therm of not getting the U factor that they're expecting on it. and that's that's another side of what has transcended to both sides of the the two careers is the relationship side of it and building that and being able to work with people and, and understanding and, and hearing complex problems and being able to break them down to to being able to work through them and then being able to articulate back what is the the process procedure or resolve to it in a manner that they can understand. That was really prevalent in the technology world where you would set in meetings with executives that were not technology driven and they would form a business plan and you had to make the technology match the business plan and then come back to them and say, okay, this is a path we need to go. 
and explain it to them so that they understood it to be a tool or an asset to what they were striving for versus being just an overhead cost that they were going to dump thousands or millions of dollars into that didn't show benefit to the overall business. And that's, I I at least believe I was very good at that. And it's still something that I I try and do today. And and the relationship side of it goes along with that and cultivating relationships and, and, constantly being in, involved in in that aspect of it. And it's, it's certainly something I enjoy doing as well. It sounds Deep. like it. I, I think that's really well said. I, you know, let's talk about the IT piece for a minute, which isn't our main topic, but I like what you said there. You know, how does that serve the business plan? How, how, how does it meet or exceed? And I know, let me just mention Renz Hayes, who's probably going to listen to this podcast. I was on his design development podcast recently, and he just posted the other day on LinkedIn for an example. Um, hey, in a bear market, not all employers are going to have the luxury of allowing their staff to work from home. They've just acquiesced in a bull in an employee bull market to say, well, in a COVID in a bull market, sure, you go ahead and call the shots. But my, what's my point to that? I'm not trying to talk about remote work. I'm talking about systems. If, if you're an organization that works completely in-house or hybrid or remote, your IT systems have to be built around that strategic piece, correct? Absolutely. Um, there's certainly, it's, it's directly related to workforce numbers and the, the higher that goes up, the, the better your system better be from a bandwidth standpoint to a hardware standpoint at first connection to make those yeah. uh, virtual connections out to however many nodes you're talking about in the workforce that is spread throughout the country or throughout the world. So now I want to segue to building systems. It's a similar mindset. I mean, number one, how does my building help fulfill my business strategy? How does my facility help support my staff and my clients? Now, for us as consultants, for instance, you on the thermal analysis and testing side and me as a, as a delegated designer or as a building envelope consultant, how does that building envelope system, how does it support that facility that supports that business? It may sound like, well, what do you mean? I mean, it's just, well, no, like what's the minimum performance standard, not just statutorily, but what's, the, and so my point is, whether it's an IT system or an NFRC accredited um, glazed window system, or whether it's a full exterior building enclosure system, if we think of it from a systems mindset and then troubleshoot to the problems, I think that's, that's where our value lies. And uh, you really tripped my trigger in just thinking about IT. That I think the mindset goes across all systems, doesn't it? All areas, and it, it's important in every manner. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, we see um, all the time on the full building enclosure side, you know, where a system was. So, like in terms of talking about variable elimination, first of all, was the system correctly specified to begin with? each of the products, do they meet a minimum performance criteria? Yes or no? Okay, if no, well, there's the first problem. If yes, well, then how were they assembled? How do they match or not? What happens at the transitions at this node, at this seam, at that node? So that's interesting. So the whole point of this is that I really like your, like that you segued from 
IT and tech to fenestration, but in the end, you're a systems guy. You're a systems problem solver. I think it'd be good for our audience, people that we have other people that have shared different stories like Cindy Sim, who's the VP of marketing for, um, yeah, escapes me right now and it shouldn't, DFI, um, the coding system. Um, you know, she was a, a she was getting into law um, and wanted to be in law. And then she got tired of that and became a, a server at a restaurant. Well, she's got great people and communication skills. So what would ever move her into the glass industry? She's a relationship person, you know? So there's a common thread for different people in different ways. And they don't always get to discover it if they don't shift industries. They may think they're in love with technology, but they're actually in love with problem solving. Yeah, I think it's a great observation. And I think it's it's true. And I can certainly say it's at least true for me. Yeah, it's a great skill to have on your end, really. Um, so... I've covered a lot about thermal. I've kind of forgive forgive me in audience, forgive me for my um, verboseness on that last segment. But it really, I think there's a lot to discovering a person's unique ability, the thing that brings them energy. That unique ability is portable across many many industries. You just have to learn the technical pieces involved. Um, so, is there any particular message? And, and if not, that's fine. So like as, as part of NCTL, um, it, is there a specific message that is difficult or challenging for you guys to communicate about the value of, or do people just really need to come to you like be, because statutorily they have to meet certain standards? I think that is some of it. And there's, there's just a, you have to type of mentality because of what the governing bodies out there have in place from codes, officials, and, and all those things we talked about before, where, you know, wherever it is that you're doing business and trying to put up buildings, you're, you're probably governed by something to, to meet a certain requirement to put that building up before you get there. So that naturally lends to having to get the testing done. Um, you know, we, we try to excel at the at the relationship and customer service part. The the testing itself is is, is outlined in black and white in documents. You have to meet those criteria in order to be an accredited lab mm-hmm. for AMA, for NFRC, for all of those things. So that eliminates the differentiality right from the gate on that particular aspect of it. But mm-hmm. what is different is how we can provide our service and go about making sure that the customer feels like they're getting the value add, how they're, they're we're building a relationship with them and we're here for them, not just for the problem that came in the door today, but for the problem that's going to come tomorrow and whatever that problem brings. Mm-hmm. That's good to know. Um, yeah. How it, do you believe communication is an important contributor to success and if so, how important is it? I think it's extremely important. Um, expectations are a lot of that, and being able to communicate those expectations are a lot of that. Um, you know, I, I go back to, to the visit out to to you guys, and you know, several months ago, and Michael and I having several conversations through email of, you know, how we were going to go about what we were trying to plan with the training out there. And and those conversations ultimately led to 
to an evolution of ideas of what needed to be done and an expectation setting. And I think that ultimately led to, to Michael being able to open the doors to others joining us and, and hopefully, you know, value being seen by all involved. And I don't know without those communication pieces that we get to that point. So I think it's a huge aspect of it. That's a great example because I, you know, I was reminded that not only did you do that training with key staff from our consulting and engineering and design drafting modeling group, but we brought in a few clients as well and, and they were involved. So that, you know, one of our core values is collaboration. And that was one of the great examples of collaboration um, for, for us to all be together. That's, that was cool. Thank you for your inputs there on communication as a contributor to success. I really like the contextual aspect of that. We're really coming down to the very end and, and, as usual, um, I actually didn't start my clock until a little bit into it. I think we're probably a little past an hour um, or close to it. Um, so let's shift on the, per- I've got a hundred more questions I could ask, but um, let's go on the personal side. What do you like to do for hobby or recreation? Anything in particular? What's the human being known as John Gordon like outside of work? Uh, family would absolutely be at the top of that list uh, and whatever that involves in the moment. Um, you know, some days that is chasing down one of the kids that, that are older now, but still active in sports. Um, you know, over the holidays, we went and watched them both play in an alumni game for ice hockey. They played uh, up through high school. So, um, still trying to maintain that mom and dad stature if we can for as long as we can, because we enjoy it so much. Um, like I said, 26 plus years of being married um, and we're, for lack of better term, I guess we're empty nesters at this point with one still in college and he comes home for a month or two here and there. I'm not sure if that counts or it doesn't, but in our world it does. So mm-hmm. a lot of time with uh, my wife, Tapitha, and spending time with her and we're starting to open the travel doors up and go see some things that we want to see in between chasing the kids around. And then outside of that, it's uh, uh, friends and, and outdoors is the, the rest of my time. Uh, I love being outdoors and enjoying all of that, um, whatever aspect of nature that is, hiking and, and wherever we may be. And her and I do a lot of that kind of stuff mm-hmm. around our trips. Mm-hmm. Um, and you touched on it earlier. I'm, I'm certainly expanding my uh, palate to bourbon and constantly looking for new adventures in that as well as uh, certainly a, a, a like beer and, and having a, a few cold ones here and there. So expanding to microbreweries and, and all of that type of thing. So just trying to experience and live it the best I can with the, those I want to be with. Sounds like a fun personal life. Have you read any, do, do you read much? I know not everybody reads a lot these days. Do you read much? And if you, if you have read Anything in the last 12 months? Have you read anything that you're like this? Yeah, this is my favorite read of last year. Uh, I don't read a whole lot. Um, I, I mean, we you have to inherently read through what we do with test methods and all that. And um, I'll leave it to everybody to, to make their own um you know decisions on how fun or not fun that is, but <laughs> um <laughs> The, the one series I'm involved with right now is, is like, uh, it's, it's fiction, adventure type stuff. Um, it's a Vince Flynn, Mitch Rapp series, um, counterterrorism type stuff. And, oh, yeah. Um, you know, just 
that kind of fun read, if you will. It's it's definitely not anything technical. I get enough of that through the yeah job and staying up on all that. And I st I'm still active in technology too. Um, I, I manage our stuff here, so I try and stay up on the technology oh, wow. side of things too. And that just has not gone by the wayside over the last eight years. So. Um, yeah, it's, it's a fun read, but I, I don't do it nearly as much as I, I wish I would probably, but something has to give somewhere with the hours in a day. That's funny. Let's do a podcast on who's the best leading dude. Is it Jack Reacher, Mitch Rapp, Jack Ryan, like from, from these Baldacci, Coons, you know, Lee Child, uh, Vince Flynn, like who's the best guy? I've done a straw poll and he's not, he's, he's a rough guy, but most of the guys I talk to say Mitch Rapp's my guy. <laughs> like, and I'm, I'm coming to towards the end of that series. Uh, so I'm, I'm starting to put feelers out for where to go from here, trying to stay in that general genre and haven't found one yet. That's really like spiked in interest. You got to read Lee Child's, Jack Reacher novels. There's okay. 20, 20, some of them. Um, it's shallow reading. Okay, go ahead, audience, judge us. That's fine. Um, <laughs> go ahead, judge us. Um, yeah, so, and I enjoy some series, it, apart from reading, I enjoy some series on on Amazon Prime. I know there's the new Jack Ryan series is out. It's pretty good. I've been watching The Chosen. It's pretty amazing. I've been smiling and crying through some of that. Um, it is good to get a break from the extreme technical. Somebody said the other day that they were talking to the guy that wrote the, the book, um, Atomic Habits. It's a 10 million book bestseller. And um, he said, well, I like to keep my chapters to about, you know, 10, 12 pages. So you can fit about 300 words on a page. So that's about 3000 words. Um, and I'm thinking I'm writing chapters of books every week. I'm writing 10 and 12 page proposals from a template, but there's a lot, there's still five or 6,000 custom work, custom updates in that. I hadn't thought of it in that language. If you, if you put all those together, a lot of us in our, in business or in our business between reports and proposals, we're writing 300 page books every week. Um, so yeah, there is some burnout on seeing the written page. So I also enjoy some of that crazy, tough guy fiction, you know? <laughs> yeah, but, that would be an interesting podcast for sure. Uh, I, I don't have a lot of experience in others, but I, I feel like the whole idea of, of trying to find the next chapter after Mitch Rapp is going to be tough. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, the saddest thing about that is Vince Flynn, he only wrote five or six of those novels. He died of prostate cancer really young and somebody else picked up from him. My dad was reading one of the books. He's like, I don't think this one's by Vince Flynn. And I go, that's really good. He said, no matter how hard the guy tried his protege, it's just not as good because anyway, I digress, but. Um, I agree. I, there was a definite, and I knew about it bef beforehand uh, before getting into it, but there is absolutely, in my opinion, a, a point where you go from one book to the next and you can tell where yeah, Flynn had left off, and I think it's Kyle Mills is the guy's name that picked up for him. Yeah, you know, where where Vince Flynn had stopped and Kyle Mills had picked up. Yeah, you can you can tell it's very interesting the X factor behind writing. 
Well, uh, John, um, we are definitely past our limit. Um, hopefully my production guys won't um, be too upset. I actually have no idea where we stand. We might be at an hour and 10, but you're an interesting guy on a very interesting topic about NFRC, about thermal analysis and fenestration products and just your path. If people want to get a hold of you, I'm going to put John's information in the show notes. Um, I'll put the website for National Certified Test Lab. Um, and you're on LinkedIn, correct? You're on LinkedIn? I, I am. Yep. That is correct. You're not on Twitter, are you? I am. You are on Twitter. I am. I Great. am reluctantly on all social media platforms in some aspect. Not a big fan of all of them, but Twitter's one I'm pretty active on. Or well, I'm I'm on. I'm not pretty I'm not active on any of them really, to be honest. Well, I'm I'm super engaged on Twitter and LinkedIn. So uh, if I'm not connected to you on Twitter already, I'm going to be connected to you shortly after this podcast. <laughs> that sounds good. Um, well, again, John, can't thank you enough. I know you have a lot going on today and, and um, a lot going on potentially coming up this weekend. So I want to thank you for your time. Um, audience, um, I want to thank you for listening. A lot more good stuff coming up. John, anything else to say in closing before we... Uh, before we say we're done here? Just a thank you to you for the opportunity. I enjoyed it very much. And, and certainly uh, thank you for uh, the invite. And uh, it's been a great hour and however many minutes it ended up being. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Okay. Uh, again, John, he's John Gordon with National Certified Test Lab and currently on the board of directors for NFRC. I'm John Wheaton, CEO of Wheaton Sprague Building Envelope and the host of the Creating Structure podcast. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening. We'll catch you on the other side. Have a good day. Mm -hmm.